I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, it's terrible. No, it's not. I know Jim. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to survive. Yes, you can, because I can't lose you. I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. What about you? Your girlfriend is a badass. Welcome to Above the Garage, a Nick and June, The Handmaid's Tale podcast. Hi, friends, and welcome to season one, episode four of our rewatch. This episode is entitled Something Latin. So we brought a Latin expert onto our panel today who took a whopping four years of Latin in high school. So, um, Julia, could you tell us the name of this episode? Yeah, it's called Nolite te bastardes carborundoro. And aptly named. So uh, let's do some introductions and then dive right in. Hi, I'm Julia. Hi, I'm Marigold. I am Ginger. I am Scarlett. And I'm Kate. So what were you, did you guys have any thoughts at the start of this episode? I thought the music was interesting in the beginning because they're playing Daydream Believer. And she's trying yep. to like <laughs> drag herself out of her daydream because she thinks she's just going to go crazy if she lets it take hold. Well, she's been there for 13 days. Yeah. Which is insane. Like how can... Yeah. The thing that drives me nuts about Serena at this point is that, I mean, she must know a little bit about how babies are made outside of just the mechanics, you know, like a a woman's mental health is, is relevant to the baby's survival and viability. And she seems to, well, she seems to not know that, or it's not worth it to her to treat June well. And it's surprising to me, especially because I mean, they may have cattle prodded a miscarriage out of her in the last episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. She was pregnant. They literally like abused her physically and cattle prod her, which will, I imagine, end in a miscarriage most of the time. And then she punishes her. And it's, it's, uh, I hate, I hate her being locked in this room for two weeks. But 13, think about it though, 13 days and she has nothing to do. Like, no mm-hmm. phone, no books, no one to talk to. I mean, didn't it wasn't even the window kind of locked? Like she couldn't yeah, really well, see yeah, out. Yeah, it was much. like shuttered up. I guess the shutters, yeah, because you yeah. can see the light coming through, but she can't get to it. Yeah, no wonder why she's <laughs> laying on the floor in her closet, staring at the wall. Because I mean, what what are you gonna do for thirteen days? You know? Yeah, you can only sleep somewhere. <laughs> I'm trying to pry the window open and look out, and they're all yeah. bruised up. That, that was a, yeah. a, a, yeah. a detail. Maybe do a little ward game with the writing inside. inside <laughs> yeah, of the- yeah, that's true. Well, that's when she discovers, you know, the the, yeah. the words written that I cannot pronounce. Um, and <laughs> and she say. says, yeah, she sees words, and she in her voiceover she says, um, if you're caught writing, you lose a hand. So we know that's a punishment for writing. Yeah, I I thought it was really interesting that like at the beginning of her um, flashback with Luke and Hannah, you can tell that like she's mentally slipping, but she's also like aware that she's mentally slipping too. Mm -hmm. And she tells herself, I can't do this. It's dangerous. If I let myself fall in too far, I won't get out. So it's just interesting to see that kind of like the deterioration of her mental health, but she knows that she 
like needs to be strong. So it's kind of like the balance of those two aspects of her. So I thought that was yeah. really interesting. It is fascinating. I don't think that I would be able to maintain that. I would I would go to whatever fantasy land I needed to to escape yeah. from there. But she seems focused on surviving real life too. I think that flashback though is like you you can also tell a lot about her mental health because it's so like idealized and it's very fuzzy and like mm-hmm. super happy and like all the moments that they're focusing on are so like mm-hmm. perfect, you know. Right. And the song is called Daydream Believer. And I, I thought it was kind of funny because, you know, a lot of us have kids mm-hmm. and we all know these moments with kids <laughs> are never perfect. I can't like think that. of one moment that's <laughs> perfectly happy. It never like, goes that overall smooth. So, like, I just thought lovely. it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. But I think that's her, you know, we've talked about this before where like she's idealizing Luke and mm-hmm. Hannah and she's focusing on Hannah to kind of help get her out of that dark place that she's going to but then like she says she can't go too far with these memories because then it's just too painful you know mm-hmm. yeah I think I think Hannah's what keeps her going the idea of getting Hannah back is is what just gets her going because she she has something to hold on to yeah that would be the case I think with any of us Most, yeah parents. any of us but also I noticed too, like when she's in the, not to get too ahead of ourselves with the episode, but when she's in the car with Nick coming back from the doctor's office, she's in the doctor's office. She has the flashback of Luke and Hannah because, you know, obviously that's like that whole doctor's incident wasn't fun. And then immediately there's the flashback and then she's in the car with Nick. But she said, like she said, Hannah's name, I think, what did she say? Mommy loves you. Um, yeah. 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 So like at that point, I think she was purely focusing on Hannah to help bring her out of her fear and just knowing now she's got to go back to that house and be locked up again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that doctor's visit too, like that's hard to watch also. So he's trying to get her to to vent to him, you know, saying it's safe, but you could never trust that, right? You can't trust anybody in Gilead. So of course she just lays there silent when he says like, how are they treating you? You know, very well. And then he offers to impregnate her or try for her own good. And she says, I can't. And it's just, it's very, it's very cringe for me. I uh, well, I don't know if he is just trying. It seems like maybe he's just trying to take advantage of the situation. Well, I, the way I saw it, I honestly thought the doctor was a gender traitor for some reason. It gave me that vibe when I first saw it and when I rewatched it again. But he also gives her this bit of information where he says most of those guys are sterile. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, we didn't know that. We just knew that there was a fertility crisis. And obviously the women were probably blamed, but it, it isn't the woman. It's the men that are sterile. Mm-hmm. So that was an important piece of information. Yeah, definitely. She was shocked. Mm-hmm. And you also brought up a relevant point about his uh, tomato conversation right before we started this call that I had not noticed. Yeah, he's like, oh, my tomatoes are growing. He says something about, like, he's gardening, something about his tomatoes. He's talking to her, again, very nonchalant about it, um, which was, it was weird because I I think he was just trying to help. And it, it comes to the people that are stuck in Gilead. Not everybody believes in Gilead. They're just stuck there. And yeah. some people are try to help, but they're not going to risk their neck for strangers. That's not how it works. 
Well, yeah. So that's yeah. what, like, when watching that, I'm trying to figure out, wait, is he just trying to take advantage of the situation and have sex or is he actually trying to help her? And I, yeah. I kind of came to the other conclusion than you did, but, but I think that you might be right that he was actually just trying to help her. And he obviously listened when she yeah. said no, which is not a Gilead thing. So, yeah, I thought he was trying to help her too, but then like I rewatched it a couple times and I thought it was interesting because June mentions in the beginning of the episode that her door doesn't lock in her bedroom. And then when the doctor starts talking to her about all this, he locks the door. So then he starts, you know, saying he can help her out. But then like he touched her thighs, like his, like his uh, hands started. There you far. go. He also and then called her honey. Yeah. He called her honey. And if you look, he had this like teeny little smile. Cause I was yeah. like, well, maybe he's trying to be nice. But then I really noticed like the hands, the honey, and then the little oh, smile. And I'm like, no, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like okay. it's one thing asking her to help, you know, do you want help? But like now you're putting your hands on her and you're yeah. also an OBGYN. So like that's really right. sketch, yeah. you know? I'm glad that you noticed that detail because I couldn't put my finger on why I thought he was maybe awful, maybe. but <laughs> that could be why. But we skipped over, we skipped over a big, um, yeah. So Rita finds her on the floor. And by the way, I think it's really interesting that Rita matches all the walls in the house, like her drab, her drab uniform, uniform, though, it matches like everything upstairs in the office realm. And then her, her drab uniform looks a little nicer in the eating area where it also matches the nicer walls. And she like blends in like a chameleon. I was like, the wardrobe, very very good at their job, I guess. But so she finds her and, and June, uh, that's, I think, where you see her first kind of fake manipulation face. Not that it's very believable that she fainted there, but she kind of puts mm-hmm. on that mask for Rita and says, you know, I guess I fainted. And she goes and tells Serena, who doesn't buy it. But um, then she brings up that it's ceremony night. So, you know, that's all that matters. So she decides to take her to the doctor. And I love how excited June's face was when she's contemplating walking an hour in the rain to the doctor's office. (laughs) And it's raining hard. You can hear like hard rain on the shutters. Yeah. And she's so excited. And it sucks because, of course, Serena wouldn't let her have that. But yeah, so she has Nick Driver and then Serena puts that divider up. This has actually always bothered me, despite loving Nick and June throughout all four seasons. I hate that he doesn't put that down. I was wondering that too. Yeah. I was like, what is like preventing him from just putting it back down and then back up when they get home? Right. I mean, he gives yeah. her a look of like disgust, like what's yeah. wrong with you? How can you be so awful? But he is, he can, he can put that down. The only thing I could think of is maybe he didn't just because I feel like this episode was a little bit of like a turning point for him where he's has to kind of decide how much of a risk does he want to take for this woman? Mm-hmm. So like maybe he wasn't ready to take a risk and like break the rules and put the partition down. And, you know, cause I just thought later in the episode, like when they get, you know, they get home from the doctor's appointment and she seems pretty mad at him. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if she is. Yeah. Like, I don't know if she was necessarily mad at him or just the situation or like what he represents, but I, I feel like maybe he just wasn't ready to take the risk. And then uh, you know, by the end of the episode, like, I don't know, maybe in behind the scenes, he's making that decision. Right. Yeah. One like micro moment that someone pointed out on somewhere on the internet though, is um, 
and I have heard someone say maybe he left it up so that she could take out her frustrations. You know, she's like beating the window and screaming and et cetera, et cetera. Again, I would much prefer he rolled down the partition, but he also does reach his hand back towards her, like just around mm-hmm. like the seat to the glass. And that's, yeah, that's about all we can say for what Nick did in that, uh, in this part I of the show. But I do um, love when they're walking to the car and he's holding yeah. the umbrella yeah. and the shot. yeah the shot is just so beautiful with like beautiful. the rain coming down the on the umbrella. yes but also like I feel like it's kind of symbolism the umbrella is like protecting her and oh, Nick you know I can't not mention that I know it's kind of cheesy <laughs> but it was cute symbolism I like that. to me yeah it's a, like a pretty um common theme for lovers to share an umbrella I think. Mm, I agree. Yeah. When he's holding the umbrella, though, like if you notice, he's holding it more on her because he's okay. getting all wet. Yeah. He's so wet when he gets to the car. Yeah. He's like <laughs> but like even when you're looking, like he's got it mostly over her, and then he's like his whole back is exposed. Basically, only his head was underneath it. Mm. So he's already mm. chivalrous. <laughs> <laughs> In that scene when they come back, something I noticed is the first time June's actually vulnerable. And she completely falls apart and starts banging on the on the glass. It's the first time she really falls apart, and it's again with with Nick. But when they get mm-hmm. home, and she's just sitting there, frustrated or deflated, or I, I don't I don't also I also don't know if she was mad at him. Um, he tells her, "I I wish," and she's like, "You wish what?" <laughs> I mean, she says it a little bit softer. She's like, "You wish what?" Like, tell me what do you want, and. Um, he offers her hand and she doesn't take it and and he looks frustrated like shit Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and then the scene cuts up weird though like she just you see her walking and you see her back and then the scene ends there I don't I don't know if there was more to it or not but I always it always bothered me like that's it that that's the scene I don't know. That's how I, I would have reacted she, um, to him in that situation. I had the thought though that maybe she was mad at him just because he said, I wish. In the episode before, it with the ice, when he was in yeah. her room, he had said, I wish I could have just driven away with you. Yeah. So maybe she just felt like, okay, we're in the car. You're driving. Oh, like, yeah. You're saying you wish. So why? maybe she's mad. Like, why didn't you just drive away with me? Oh. Which is why I think that this episode was probably like a turning point for him. Like, yeah, like you I'm all just talk. My- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. like I'm offering my but- hand to her. I'm saying I wish, but now she's mad. But it's like, oh shit. Well, I keep telling her I wish I could do these things, but I'm not actually doing, doing it. Thing. So that's yeah. why I think that's a very good maybe point, he Jenny. might have had a change of heart. Right. I I kind of interpreted it as he she wasn't necessarily mad at him. I think she was just mad at the situation. And he was there and she felt safe enough to kind of take it out on him kind of in a way mm-hmm. which I know sounds kind of bad but no, it also shows that, that like she's yeah like she's comfortable with him like right. there's no way that she would have even done that in front of Rita or I mean god forbid if she freaked out like that in front of a, another guardian like she probably wouldn't be alive no I think because Nick's already yeah. shown her that she yeah. can trust him you know yeah definitely shows even in this episode that she feels safe around him because you can't act like that obviously around anyone else so whether he performed to his the best of his abilities she still trusts him to some extent at least 
and I like the way that they interlay the flashbacks in this, not uh, more than more flashbacks of them in the red center interlaid mm-hmm. with because yes. like even like with the writing in the closet earlier which we've already discussed mm-hmm. a little you know they flipped to moira writing in a bathroom stall like writing on lydia socks i just think they they're just brilliant at the way that they like overlay the flashbacks with the current mm-hmm. time and she had just said in her voiceover that writing can cost you your hand so mm-hmm. then you see it both in both scenes yeah, yeah. i I also love that Moira says, I'm doing this so that the next girl that comes in here knows that she won't be alone. And then I realized that was like a parallel to the, the Nolite inspiration. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, she, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she said something at the time, like, I hope you got out of here or I can't remember what it was, but she does not know that the earlier no, offer is mm-hmm. dead at that time. And she's feeling she's, empowered by her yeah. reading this message. When she comes back from the hospital, from the doctor, she goes and Serena asks her, so are you dying in her fucking bitchy ass voice? <laughs> um, and James like, no, it's the only fine. voice she has, Scarlett. I know, I know. <laughs> And then June kind of switches and she has to kind of like bow down to Serena and be like, you know, I know that I disappointed you and kind of like, mm. oh, I hate this part. <laughs> yeah. um, she's just trying to manipulate her. Like, please just let me out of my room. And Serena does. And she's like, just go to your room. And you see June grabbing the bed. And when she goes to the room, she's doing her voiceover and she asks, like, how did you survive her? Yeah, uh, which mm-hmm. we yes. at the end of the episode know, know that she, she did didn't not. survive her. And yeah. so, Serena yeah. learned nothing. Like that's the thing that just continually drives me insane is that she knows that she's risking her this baby's life, her you know, her handmaid's life so, by the way that she's treating her, and she doesn't change her. Behavior. Serena is just hungry for power. Whatever power mm-hmm. she can have that she lost willingly when she. Yep. decided to side with the ones that were going to take away our rights she's just going to hold on to that and fuck anybody over that's going to take that away from her yeah I thought it was interesting how when they were having breakfast too um, oh yeah Fred says we have good men working on it yeah. and it's like yes. it's just that subtle like <laughs> using men not good people like to subtle reminders yeah. yeah well that that she's just not a part of it and part of me wonders when Serena was a part of you know the the creation of Gilead did she realize that she wouldn't have like any part in it really like no. I know that I no. don't think so no. I don't think no. she believed no, that I don't think so yeah she yeah. thought she was gonna have her privilege that's why she's so yeah. bitter because she I mean Fred has no power that's why I know we haven't gotten to this part yet but when June starts manipulating Fred and we see it in this episode she uses that very specific voice and it's very 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 obvious to anyone watching it and I know they did that on purpose because it's meant to show that Fred is a fucking idiot (laughs) the one that has the power yeah in that in that sense she's doing it very obvious and it's because Fred has no power he rose to power with Serena by his side Serena had the voice Serena had the power to convince people Serena had everything and he just rode her coattails and then he just shut her out but that's what you got for betraying your own <laughs> not a fan of Serena <laughs> no and I think she's just getting even like more desperate like in this episode I think it's pretty apparent that like she wants a child and 
Yes. Quick shout out to sure. Yvonne, who is an amazing actress. And yes, that is why she we is. love to hate Serena. We love Yvonne. <laughs> we amazing. hate Serena. That's right. Yes. <laughs> also, yeah. the I think the makeup department, like Peg did like hell out of yeah. Fred's look. Like Fred is the perfect douchebag commander. I don't know. Somehow the whole thing. And with, with June day. too, in the beginning, like how looking how she looked so incredibly ragged like they did a great job of yeah. making her look like that yeah and in the ceremony like her I don't know I just noticed this time around her eyes are so red she, she looks mm-hmm. she looks bad like very bad which is yeah. how you would look if you're stuck in your room for 13 days and had mm-hmm. only the ceremony to look forward to uh, this episode also has the flashbacks to the red center when they're being trained to be handmaids yes and in this episode is when they find out that they are going to be raped every mm-hmm. month. Well, and I thought it was Mar- interesting they- before that because Moira's like worst case scenario when she's like, she's like, oh, you know, you know, it's going to be this bad. They're going to put like turkey basters with old mm-hmm. bitches yeah. inside of us. And that is literally like the worst she's imagining. Yeah. And very soon, you know, as they're laying around, it does look like they're kind of in like a labor like training and they tell them what's about to happen. And they're like, uh, the shock, obviously. That's going to be seated or watered or something. That's what Aunt Lydia says. And Janine is like, get flowers. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Their faces faces when they realize like, uh, what? And, And I caught it when I watched it but that's when they realized that they were going to be raped every month yeah yeah and moira was brave enough to like actually ask the question out loud Uh like wait am i actually understanding this correctly because i can't be right yeah (laughs) i like the moira scenes and i like the yeah the attempted escape yeah and i would have done a lot worse to that aunt than they did (laughs) Um, well, before we move on, I just wanted yes, to point yes. something out too. I noticed in the doctor's office, and this kind of ties in to the whole handmaid thing. If you notice when June's waiting in the waiting room, and then there's that pregnant handmaid, and she's smiling, and be- she was, you have the pregnant yeah. handmaid, uh-huh. and then behind her, you have the pictures of the commanders and the wives and the baby uh-huh. with the handmaid sitting right there. And I just thought, like, first of all, from a cinematography perspective or whatever, like that's just a genius little detail. But I just thought, you know, it's, it again, ties into like the whole handmade, like she truly is a vessel. Like she's, her only purpose is to have this baby and then give it to them. And that's Mm -hmm. it, you know? You're right. Yeah. Those pictures. Like she's even caressing her belly. It's like, she's happy. Like, Yeah. yeah, she's happily pregnant. And, and then you get this shot on those pictures and you see all those, yeah, happy families, and you just know that none of these women actually bore that child. Oh. Right. Also, like yeah. a, maybe on a funnier note, I actually paused on that picture with the framed process, uh-huh. and it's pretty funny because it's kind of the same actors in different combinations. <laughs> 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 like, like some kind of Gilead Swinger Club thing going on there. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> I look forward to going back and seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> check that. You should check that out. <laughs> Great catch, Julia. The escape attempt. Yeah, the escape attempt. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Let's um, talk about that. That was harsh because, I mean, obviously, what you said, um, Kate, that you would have been 
a lot worse to the to the aunts, but they weren't ruthless yet, uh, which is something that's interesting because you see how the aunts dehumanize them. We'll see that afterwards, obviously, in the same episode. But like they don't hurt her. And, and Moira says, actually, the one that hurts her is June, the one that hits her with a catapod. Mm-hmm. And Moira would say, just remember that I didn't like hurt you or shove yeah. this down your throat if it comes to that. And then they leave and they start walking and then they see all these, the images when they get, I guess that's the porcelain. I don't know what that was. They were burning books and they were bodies. And yeah. when they get, when they're walking in the subway, you see all the men coming out in suits. Mm-hmm. All the men, it was all men. And then when they get there, um, the scene was really heartbreaking because you see June standing by herself and you see Mora making that split second decision and June looks at her and smiles. Yeah, like June, go, very yeah. go. And Mora is like devastated. When she leaves, you instantly see June's face just completely fall apart. Mm-hmm. because she knows she's never going to see Moira again. I wonder if a part of her though, like, cause I, I definitely know, you know, think she wanted Moira to get out, especially cause she had the opportunity, but I still wonder like, was a part of her mad because I was kind of confused, like why she didn't go with Moira or tell the guardian, like I'm with the aunt and then yeah. just go with her. So I just wonder if there's like a small part of her that's like, I wish I was with her, you know? Yeah. I think it's also interesting how like the guardians when June and Moira were walking past them like out of the red center Moira just flashed her badge and like they tried to question her but then like she just said something back and they they didn't they just let her go like it's just interesting to me that like do ants have more power than guardians at that point or is this just so early on in Gilead that they don't know who has the higher authority yeah, maybe that. so I don't know I've always I've always thought aunts have more power yeah I think they do yeah. yeah also in the breakfast scene with Serena and Fred they were talking about an aunt escaping and telling the Toronto star or some newspaper all this terrible stuff about Gilead that's true so then it made me wonder so the ants don't necessarily want to be there either, but they seem to get pretty well into their roles, which, you know, I know that happens in this kind of situations, but I don't know. We don't know much right now, right? About how they become ants. No. Right. no. no. Yeah. So it is explained uh, in the testaments. I wanted to make a comment about sure. Moira and June and their, their capturing of the ant. Yeah. So she, you know, as now we're in the fourth episode. So we're seeing June build up a little bit to become like the badass handmaid that we know now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was interesting because Moira was kind of like running the show there when they took the ant. Right. And yeah. she was being, and June was being very meek. And then, you know, and she kind of looked like a little surprised and, you know, and then they get downstairs and all of a sudden June is like power hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and she's the one with the cattle prod and she's the one like threatening her and being really tough and I just uh, thought it was in- and Moira even kind of looked at her and was like June come on and I just feel like you're starting to see like mm-hmm. the yeah. badass woman come out that we know so yeah. she's she's building right. the layers are coming off of the meekness that Gilead made her to be and society mm-hmm. before I was gonna say, she wasn't yeah. like that made her. Not, yeah. just, not just Gilead yeah yeah, 
she didn't need to use it. Yeah. So, so then that night they have the ceremony and Fred, it's strange to me that there is a pocket of time where June could be kneeling and Fred would come in for that amount of time to talk oh, about it, but anyway, yeah. it happened. So June's kneeling, Fred comes in early to have a little chat, which she later understands as he needs that to connect in order to um, not be flaccid Fred. Flaccid <laughs> Fred. Uh, this poor man. Oh my God. <laughs> That was uh, hard to watch. I know it was, it was so awkward. <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but the sounds were like, "Ugh." <laughs> <laughs> All right, but first he asks, "Like, can we have a rematch of Scrabble?" He specifically says, and she's just she's taken aback, Shock. I guess, and doesn't yeah. respond the way he wants quickly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he's angered either, but I guess Rita's coming, so he has to get up before she can. I mean, you know, she's been stuck in a room for 13 days, so I'm surprised she hesitated. So then Rita and Nick come, Serena looking as angry as ever, tapping her cigarette case. But yeah, so they get into the ceremony room and it's it's even more awkward than the last time as he uh, struggles to perform. And the look on her face, like she's actually like, I don't know, annoyed. It's just dragging it out, you know? She, she knows like it's gonna happen. Or she thinks that, and this is just making it more complicated and awkward. So she's annoyed and he leaves and Serena tries to help him. It's the most awkward. She gets shut down. Yeah. I think it's really funny that like Fred says that he wants connection, but then like when Serena like kind of tries to connect with him, he just rejects her. Like you can Mm -hmm. just tell that like he just doesn't love or even want Serena yeah it's which ties into that I think that whole aunt conversation where he shuts Serena down and is like we have good men working on it like <laughs> and Serena looks like she just you know she's offended and then yeah. here we go again now her husband's having trouble performing she's trying to connect with him and he's shutting her down again like I don't need you now I have this handmaid you know this Who, one's I mean, worse this shutdown is worse yeah yeah oh yeah definitely but it's like he keeps on like reminding her like putting on her in her place you know mm-hmm. yeah. and then like mm-hmm. i think even in just back in one i think is when they're like having a dinner or, or having a meeting and he like shuts the door and tells her they'll they'll see her at dinner or something like it's a common theme he likes to rub it in her face that yeah she does not have any power anymore so it's interesting. I look forward to seeing their previous relationship in future episodes to mm-hmm. understand how you got to the point where he seems to have disdain for her, even though she's obviously like an attractive but I, woman. I also like saw it maybe in the light of this is a form of pleasure, kind of. And I mean so the ceremony for him, he, you mean? No, no, the um, offer. On the table? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Serena's <laughs> offer. Attempted, like, attempted blowjob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so this is not very like in their faith. Maybe I, I saw it like like this. Yeah, probably yeah. that it was also the problem for Fred that he was like this. He's this faithful man, so he he, he cannot have sex or whatever, or just for pleasure. It, it, it needs to be for a cause <laughs> like that's what I wondered if that's kind of why he was saying it yeah I still don't believe it deep down even if like I still think there's other issues like but I think that's kind of what his excuse was it um, might be a power thing too yeah anytime he can shut her down and 
make her feel because well, if she well, has the power to help him get ready for the ceremony and then he's supposed to and he wants to connect June like he doesn't want to connect with his wife so mm -hmm. I think and that's what I was wondering if maybe it was like more of a power thing like I can't let her help me because then mm -hmm. she's a part yeah. of this you know that's true Serena was more than willing to help him go rape some other woman so yep. I'm gonna help you perform so that then you can go and rape another woman like hmm. yeah little little messed up put it accurately so yeah so she does go back to his room that night which by the way would be kind of awkward after the whole scene that just happened but because she realized that he needed to connect like she noticed that and her she voiceover she says why. it yeah mm -hmm. she's like he needed to connect and then that's when it clicks on her and she goes and plays little miss nice that might have made me do the opposite because i like him being embarrassed but also <laughs> i haven't been stuck in my room for 13 days so yeah i would like to play scrabble if i were stuck in my yeah. room for 13 days so she goes to the study and they have a rematch and she says also like i won't let you win this or i could let you win this time something she didn't admit that last time did she i think she asked i think she said something oh, along those lines in the first okay. time yeah i should know that since i've just rewatched all these episodes apologies to the audience all right so they're playing scrabble and and oh, he asked her to go get the dictionary because he's like challenging her word. I love that. Don't challenge her. But just like touching books, you can see how much that means to her. Having been a normal human editor. being and a book editor in previous world, she takes a long time just running her hands over the books before she gets the dictionary. And she sees the Latin book, which gives her the idea, oh, I can find out what the previous handmaid wrote in the closet. Yeah, so then she asks him and he reacts kind of, I think, Scarlett, you were talking about it, how like pointed. Yeah, because she asks him and he asks her, like, so where did you hear that? And she's like, oh, I heard it from a friend. And uh, I don't remember exactly what she says, but I know he asks her three times. But when he asks her the third time, he's more firm, like maybe getting not angry but you see the vibe of, of the scene change. And I noticed on the rewatch. And then I think that's when she says, um, I heard it from a friend. And he says, did you know her from before? And when I saw the rewatch and I noticed this, I was like, okay, wait a minute. So she finds this in her room. Obviously the other Alfred wrote it. So I assume that Fred had this joke or had told the handmaid that same sentence at some point. Like that's the connection. The show doesn't give us how that connection happened, but you can assume it because of his demeanor. And then she asks what happened to her. And that's when she finds out that her life was unbearable there. So she killed herself. That's what Fred says. Like, I guess she thought her life was unbearable here. Like shocker. And uh, she <laughs> says, well, it'll be very bad if my life, is the same like I don't remember the exact same lines but she uses that to kind of manipulate him she says I've been locked in my room and I've been losing touch and it'll be a shame if that happened to me and he says it'll be a real tragedy and then I remembered going back to that breakfast scene when Serena and him and talking when he leaves for the meeting mm -hmm. Rita had already told Serena that June had fainted and when he's walking out of the dining room he looks up towards June's room I hadn't noticed that either like That's he was so concerned for her. I was actually watching him when Rita was telling Serena and I didn't see as much of a reaction as I thought I would. And I'd stopped 
previous to apparently where you do see it because I thought yeah, you know, I noticed you would be concerned. I I noticed it now in, in the rewatch, but that called my attention because I, I couldn't I couldn't understand like the meaning of the word. Like obviously we know that sentence has a lot of meaning, but how it, it came to be until mm. I rewatched it now, especially when he asked. So it was something between him. So we already knew that he did the same thing to the other offer. Like we can assume that from the get-go from this episode. Well, so I wondered though, because she says to him, oh, and you're trying to make my life more bearable. I was unclear on whether she thinks that they did the Scrabble thing or he's doing it special for her. The way he says it, the way he says to her, it will be a real tragedy. He looks straight at her and like he means it. Like, mm-hmm. like you kind of yeah. assume that he's starting to care for her maybe. Right. So she's going to use that to her advantage. But, I mean, and you see her mask. Does. You see her fake, like you said, like very obvious. Really obvious. Fake, manipulative <laughs> voice. Yeah. yeah. Like everybody complains about her voice. Like she has this baby voice and okay, there's a reason for it. You know, mm-hmm. they want to make mm-hmm. sure that people know how stupid and how easy it is to manipulate Fred. That's why it's so obvious. She has to appear meek to him. Right. Mm -hmm. And it works because the next morning she walks out the door very excitedly. I love the music that they play here. Mm -hmm. Perpetuum Mobile by Penguin Cafe. I'm probably saying that Penguin Cafe Orchestra. I am probably saying that wrong. Capitum mobile. Say that. Oh my God, she's our she's our expert. Go ahead, Yulia. What is that? It's song also that legend. Love? So, oh. how do you say it, Yulia? Perpetuum. Perpetuum mobile. Okay. Per- Perpetuum mobile by Penguin Cafe Orchestra. Um, but it's like the perfect freedom, like soundtrack yeah. music. And she's walking outside, and she sees Nick, and Nick's happy. By the way, quick side note: the script notes that are the fans that went before us that went to the library um i believe said that nick uh there was a cut scene where he was talking to fred about how june needed to get out of the room so i would like to have seen that but anyway she's walking out he's under the hood of the car he literally just hangs out around the car in the hopes of seeing her and then he gives her that smile it's like it's yeah one of his best looks in the entire show i think Definitely. Like, both between both of them it's very like happy between them both moment of you're walking outside of your room this is awesome i noticed the parallel because when she goes outside to go to the doctor it's raining outside and the weather is miserable uh, you're right and then mm-hmm. when, when she's at the doctor i've noticed this about this show you could always hear dogs barking so like when she's on the table at the doctor's office, she hears dogs barking. But then the last scene when she goes outside, you know, when she's released from her room, mm-hmm. it's sunny outside and I can hear the birds chirping. And I just thought it's interesting how they use those sounds to kind of show how yeah. her mood is changing. And like now all of a sudden she's happy and she's not mad at Nick because she smiles at him. No, oh, yeah, and no. They're both very happy with each other at the moment. I love that. I really just really love that. Like look between them. It's Mm -hmm. one of my favorites. Also, then you get to see like the evil queen up in the castle staring down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very classic (laughs) evil queen scene. And And June is like proud, like rubbing. It's like she kind of looks at her. Yeah. Like Like, I I outplayed you. Yeah. Yep. I, I love how the, the episode starts with like her in isolation and then it ends on this like 
note of like solidarity with like the other handmaids. I yes, it was really cool. Yeah. Playing oh. the same song, which I yes. still love so much. They then go to the flashback and they're mm-hmm. all dropping their pieces yes. of fruit that they've saved for her. I saw that the parallel uh, when they're giving her the food, you know, mm-hmm. she's like all her food are all fucked up. Um, they all come and they bring her food. It was, you know, you kind of get elated when you see it because it's like a woman supporting woman kind of thing, which is mm-hmm. part of the theme of the show. But then all the handmaids stand in front of her and they're in they're I think there's they're in line mm-hmm. standing in front of her and June sits up and she's looking at them and it looks like she's their leader. Like they're looking at mm-hmm. her impressed because she tried to escape and obviously she got she got fucked up. That's one of the punishments she got. And I'm going to circle back to that because people always say she never gets punished because they can't see her being losing a finger or losing an eye or something, but she does get punished. And it was the aunt that obviously Moira told her, you know, if it ever comes to that. And she had no, no questions on beating her up. And that's how you see how they dehumanize them. They're already ready to just fuck them up with no, not a care in the world versus the way that Moira and June were like, they didn't really hurt her that much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I think the theme of this episode is definitely like women supporting women because it starts out where, you know, Rita, the season starts where Rita is very like stoic and kind of like, seems like she doesn't want to get involved, but you can tell in this episode, she cares about June, Mm -hmm. tries to help her and goes to Serena and tries to like see if she can get her out of the room and then you have june and moyer working together and like you know june as she's having her voiceover throughout this episode she's using moira to like pump herself oh, up yeah. like i you know i have to be a badass like her like suck it up and then it ends you know with the handmaids giving june food their scraps of food and then they're banding together like forming their army in front of the Waterford house at the very last shot, which I think is just fascinating. It's great foreshadowing Mm -hmm. because you have the handmade army and then the Waterfords in the back. My favorite line of this episode was Moira, you wouldn't stand for this shit. And (laughs) she uses that as her motivation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When she sits up on the bed and looks at all of them after they've given her fruit and everything. And she's, I don't know. She's been a lot of the episodes looking beaten down, but you can tell also, I think in makeup, like how like she's like glowing as they're like looking towards her. She's, she's feeling strong and powerful the way that you said, like she looks like a leader. Like I, I think there are a lot of clues in that, just in that scene that show that she is about to be a lot stronger than she has been. Okay. I think that is a wrap on our spoiler free analysis of season one, episode four If you are a longtime fan of the show, come find us on Wednesday when we do our deep dive into the same episode, full of spoilers. And if you're a new watcher, we'll see you next Monday to analyze Season 1, Episode 5, spoiler-free. Thanks again for listening to Above the Garage. You know, I think about us, the three of us, what we could be. I think about it all the time. Please, it's terrible. No, it's not. I know June. She's my friend. I care about her. How's your day going? You look pretty. Thanks. I wore it just for you. Her father's a driver named Nick. He helped me to survive. Yes, you can, because I can't lose you. I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. What about you? Your girlfriend is a badass. 